Fiscal City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's reading, head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, where you'll be able to interact with other readers and followers and share your own thoughts about today's reading. Let us thank God now for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who have proclaimed the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 198. We are reading from chapter 15 of volume 3, book 5, paragraphs 162 to 174. Chapter 15 Of the happy death of St. Joseph and what followed upon it, how Jesus our Redeemer and Blessed Mary our Lady assisted at his passing away. 162 Already eight years St. Joseph had been exercised by his infirmities and sufferings, and his noble soul had been purified more and more each day in the crucible of affliction and of divine love. As the time passed, his bodily strength gradually diminished, and he approached the unavoidable end, in which the stipend of death is paid by all of us children of Adam. Hebrews 9.27 In like manner also increased the care and solicitude of his heavenly spouse, our Queen, assisting and serving him with unbroken punctuality, perceiving in her exalted wisdom that the day and hour for his departure from this cumbrous earth was very near. The loving lady betook herself to her son and said to him, Lord God Most High, Son of the Eternal Father and Savior of the world, by thy divine light I see the hour approaching which thou hast decreed for the death of thy servant Joseph. I beseech thee by thy ancient mercies and by thy infinite bounty, to assist him in that hour by thy almighty power. Let his death be as precious in thy eyes as the uprightness of his life was pleasing to thee, so that he may depart in peace, and in the certain hope of the eternal reward to be given to him on that day in which thou shalt open the gates of heaven for all the faithful. Be mindful, my son, of the humility and love of thy servant, of his exceeding great merits and virtues, of the fidelity and solicitude by which this just man had supported thee and me, thy humble handmaid, and in the sweat of his brow. 163. Our Savior answered, My mother, thy request is pleasing to me, and the merits of Joseph are acceptable in my eyes. I will now assist him, and will assign him a place among the princes of my people. Psalm 115.15. So high that he will be the admiration of the angels, and will cause them and all men to break forth in the highest praise. With none of the human born shall I do as with thy spouse. 
The great lady gave thanks to her sweetest son for this promise. And for the nine days and nights before the death of St. Joseph, he uninterruptedly enjoyed the company and attendance of Mary or her divine son. By command of the Lord and the holy angels, three times on each of the nine days furnished celestial music, mixing their hymns of praise with the benedictions of the sick man. Moreover, their humble but most precious dwelling was filled with the sweetest fragrance and odors so wonderful that they comforted not only St. Joseph, but invigorated all the numerous persons who happened to come near the house. 164. One day before he died, being wholly inflamed with divine love on account of these blessings, he was wrapped in an ecstasy which lasted twenty-four hours. The Lord himself supplied strength for the miraculous intercourse. In this ecstasy he saw clearly the divine essence, and manifested therein all that he had believed by faith, the incomprehensible divinity, the mystery of the incarnation and redemption, the militant church with all its sacraments and mysteries, the blessed trinity commissioned and assigned him as the messenger of our Savior to the holy patriarchs and prophets of Limbo, and commanded him to prepare them for their issuing forth from his bosom of Abraham to eternal rest and happiness. All this Most Holy Mary saw reflected in the soul of her Divine Son, together with all the other mysteries, just as they had been made known to her beloved spouse. And she offered her sincerest thanks for all this to her Lord. 165. When St. Joseph issued from this ecstasy, his face shone with wonderful splendor, and his soul was entirely transformed by his vision of the essence of God. He asked his blessed spouse to give him her benediction, but she requested her divine son to bless him in her stead, which he did. Then the great queen of humility, falling on her knees, besought St. Joseph to bless her, as being her husband and head. Not without divine impulse, the man of God fulfilled this request for the consolation of his most prudent spouse. She kissed the hand with which he blessed her, and asked him to salute the just ones of Limbo in her name. The most humble Joseph, sealing his life with an act of self-abasement, asked pardon of his heavenly spouse for all of his deficiencies in her service and love, and begged her to grant him her assistance and intercession in this hour of passing away. The holy man also rendered humblest thanks to her son for all the blessings of this life, and especially for those received during this sickness. The last words which St. Joseph spoke to his spouse were, Blessed art thou among all women and elect of all creatures. Let angels and men praise thee. Let all generations know, praise, and exalt thy dignity. And may in thee be known, adored, and exalted the name of the Most High through all the coming ages. May he be eternally praised for having created thee so pleasing in his eyes in the sight of all the blessed spirits. I hope to enjoy thy sight in the heavenly fatherland. 166. Then this man of God turning toward Christ our Lord, in profoundest reverence, wished to kneel before him. But the sweetest Jesus, coming near, received him in his arms, where, reclining his head upon them, Joseph said, My highest Lord and God, Son of the Eternal Father, Creator and Redeemer of the world, give thy blessing to thy servant and the work of thy hand pardon. O most merciful King, the faults which I have committed in thy service and intercourse, I extol and magnify thee, and render eternal and heartfelt thanks to thee, for having in thy ineffable condescension chosen me to be the spouse of thy true mother. 
Let thy greatness and glory be my thanksgiving for all eternity. The Redeemer of the world gave him his benediction, saying, My Father, rest in peace and in the grace of my eternal Father and mine, and to the prophets and saints who await thee in limbo. Bring the joyful news of the approach of their redemption. All these words of Jesus, and reclining in his arms, the most fortunate St. Joseph, expired, and the Lord himself closed his eyes. At the same time, the multitude of the angels who attended upon their king and queen intoned hymns of praise in loud and harmonious voices. By command of the Lord, they carried his most holy soul to the gathering place of the patriarchs and prophets, where it was immediately recognized by all as clothed in the splendors of the incomparable grace, as the putative father and the intimate friend of the Redeemer, worthy of highest veneration, conformably to the will and mandate of the Lord, his arrival spread in utterable joy in this countless gathering of the saints by the announcement of their speedy rescue. 167. It is necessary to mention that the long sickness and sufferings which preceded the death of St. Joseph was not the sole cause and occasion of his passing away. For with all his infirmities he could have extended the term of his life, if to them he had not joined the fire of the intense love within his bosom in order that this death might be more the triumph of his love than of the effects of original sin. The Lord suspended the special and miraculous assistance by which his natural forces were enabled to withstand the violence of his love during his lifetime. As soon as this divine assistance was withdrawn, nature was overcome by his love and the bonds and chains by which this most holy soul was detained in its mortal body, where it once dissolved, and the separation of the soul from the body in which death consists took place. Love was then the real cause of the death of St. Joseph, as I have said above. This was at the same time the greatest and most glorious of all his infirmities, for in it death is but a sleep of the body, and the beginning of a real life. 168. Her spouse having thus passed away, the great lady began to prepare his body for burial according to Jewish custom. No other hands touched him than her own and those of the holy angels who assisted her in visible forms. In order that the utmost propriety might be observed by the Virgin Mother, God enveloped the body of St. Joseph in a wonderful light, which hid all except his countenance. And thus his purest spouse, although she clothed him for burial, saw only his face. Sweet fragrance exhaled from his body, and it remained so beautiful and lifelike that the neighboring people eagerly came to see it and were filled with admiration. Accompanied by the Redeemer of the world, his most blessed mother, and a great multitude of angels, and escorted by their friends and many others, the sacred body of the most glorious St. Joseph was borne to the common burying place. But on all these occasions, and in these occupations, the most prudent queen preserved her composure and gravity without following her countenance to exhibit any unwomanly or disorderly excitement, nor did her sorrow prevent her from attending to all that belonged to the service of her deceased spouse or her divine son. In every one of her movements was visible the royal and magnanimous behavior of the queen of the human race. She reiterated her thankful acknowledgment of the great favors done to her spouse by the Son of God and prostrate at his feet a new abasement of humility. She said to him, Lord and Master of my whole being, my true Son, the holiness of my spouse, St. Joseph, might until now have detained thee in my company. 
Though unworthy of it, I beseech thee by thy own goodness not to forsake me now. Receive me anew as thy servant, and look upon the humble desires and longings of my heart. The Savior of the world accepted this new offering of his Most Holy Mother, and he promised not to leave her until the time when obedience to his Eternal Father would oblige him to begin his life of public preaching. Teaching of Mary, the Queen of Heaven 169 My dearest daughter, it was not without special reason that thy heart was moved to great compassion and pity toward those who are at the point of death, and that thou art inspired with the desire to help them in that hour. For it is true, as thou hast perceived, that the souls of men incur the most incredible and dangerous attacks from the demons, as well as from their own frailty, and from the creatures around them. That hour is the great trial of life, upon which depends the last sentence of eternal death or eternal life, of eternal suffering or of eternal glory. As the Most High has condescendingly vouchsafed to fill thee with these sentiments, I exhort thee to exert all thy powers and faculties to act accordingly. Remember then, my friend, that what Lucifer and his satellites of darkness perceive by the course of natural events, that any one falls a prey to a dangerous and mortal disease, they immediately prepare to assail the poor and unbearing soul with all their malice and astuteness, in order to vanquish them, if possibly, by various temptations. Whenever they see an opening for attacking the souls, they try to supply in fury and malice the shortness of time. 170. At such times... They gather like bloodthirsty wolves and search out the natural and acquired failings in his nature, taking into account his inclinations, habits, and customs, and where his passions cause him greater weakness. In order to direct toward this part the strongest battery and engines of war, those that have a disorderly love of earthly life, they persuade that there is not such great danger, and that they prevent others from undeceiving them. Those that have been negligent in the reception of the sacraments, they try to make still more careless, and they place obstacles and difficulties in the way in order that they may die without them, or in order that they may receive them without fruit and with a bad disposition. Others they fail with false suggestions and shame in order that they may not confess their sins and open their conscience. Others they confuse and try to prevent from making proper restitution and thus unburdening their consciences. Others who love vanity they entangle even at the last hour, in many vain and proud desires with regard to what is to be done for them after death. Those that have been avaricious or sensual, they seek to excite violently toward what they loved so blindly during life. In short of all the bad habits and customs, this cruel enemy avails himself in order to fill their minds with images of creatures and draw them away from their salvation or make them incapable of it. All the sinful actions and vicious habits of their previous life have become, as it were, pledges in the hands of the common enemy of the possession of the sinner, and weapons for assault and battery in this tremendous hour of death. Every appetite which has been inordinately indulged is an avenue or bypath by which he enters into the citadel of the soul. Once in, he breathes forth his pestilential fumes and raises the clouds of darkness, his proper work, so that the soul may not give heed to the divine inspirations, have no true sorrow for its sins, and do no penance for its wicked life. 171. Generally, these enemies cause a great damage to the souls in that hour by exciting a vain hope of a longer life, and being able to execute later on what God suggests to them by means of the holy angels, 
Giving way to this deceit, they find themselves afterwards betrayed and lost. Just as great in the danger of those who have been shown little esteem for the saving graces of the sacraments. For this contempt is very offensive to the Lord and to the saints, and divine justice is wont to punish it by leaving these souls to their own wicked counsels. This leads them to great neglect and profiting by this help. Thus they are themselves forsaken by the Lord in their last hour, in which they expected to provide for their salvation. There are few among the just whom this ancient serpent does not furiously attack in their last agony, and if Satan boasts of having ruined even saints at such times, what hope have the wicked, the negligent, and sinful, who have spent their whole lives in making themselves unworthy of divine favor and grace, and who are devoid of the meritorious works to offset the assaults of their enemies? My holy spouse, St. Joseph, was one of those who enjoyed the privilege of neither seeing nor feeling the presence of the demon in his last hours. For as soon as they approached to deal with him as they do with the rest of men, they felt a powerful force which kept them at a distance, and the holy angels hurled them back into their abyss. Seeing themselves thus oppressed and crushed, they were seized with great uneasiness and confusion. Almost stupefied, Lucifer called a meeting of his followers in hell, in order to consult about this surprising event, and in order to have them once more search the earth for the Messiah. And then happened what thou shalt relate later on in this place. 172. Hence, thou wilt understand the great danger in the hour of death, when both the good works and the bad will begin to show their effects. I will not tell thee how many are thus lost, in order that thy sincere love of God may not cause thee to die of sorrow at this loss. But the general rule is a good life gives hope of a good end, all other reliance is doubtful, and salvation resting upon it is very rare and merely accidental. The best precaution is to take a good start from afar, and therefore I admonish thee that at the dawning of each day, when thou lookest upon the light, thou seriously consider whether it may not be the last of thy life, and if thou should be the last, for thou dost not know, that thou place thy soul in such a state as to be able to meet death with a smiling face. Do not delay even for one instant sorrow for thy sins and a firm purpose of confessing them as soon as thou findest thyself guilty of any and of amending the least of thy imperfections. In all this be so careful that thou leave not upon thy conscience the smallest defect without being sorry for it and without cleansing thyself by the blood of thy most holy Son. Place thyself in such a condition that thou art ready to appear before the just judge, who is to examine and judge thy least thoughts and all thy movements. 173. In order that according to thy pious wishes thou mayest help those who are in danger of death, thou shouldst give to others the same counsels that I have now given thee. Exhort them to lead a careful life in order to secure a happy death. Moreover, say some prayers for this intention every day of thy life fervently asking the Almighty to disperse the deceits of the devils, to destroy the snares prepared against those who are in the throes of death, and that his right hand confound all the demons. Know that I have directed my prayers to that end for mortals, and in this I wish thee to imitate me, that thou mayest help them so much the more. I wish thee to order and command the demons to depart from the sick and stop their persecutions." And thou canst very efficaciously use this power, even when thou art absent from the sick. For thou art to command them in the name of the Lord, and thou art to compel them to obey thee for his greater honor and glory. 174. 
When thy own religious are in danger of death, do thou, without exciting them, instruct them in what they are to do. Admonish them and help them to receive the holy sacraments, and see that they receive them frequently during life in preparation for a good end. Seek to encourage and console them, speaking to them of the things of God and his mysteries contained in the holy scriptures. Exhort them to awaken their good intentions and desires, and to prepare themselves to receive the light and the graces of the Most High. Excite them to hope, strengthen them against temptations, and teach them how they are to resist and overcome them, seeking to divine them before they themselves manifest them to thee. The Almighty will give thee an understanding of them, so that thou mayest apply the right medicine to each. For the infirmities of the soul are hard to diagnose and cure. All that I now tell thee, thou must execute as the most beloved daughter of the Lord and in his service. And I will procure for thee certain privileges for thyself, and for those thou desirest to aid in that terrible hour. Do not stint thy charity in these works, for thou shalt work not by thy own strength alone, but by the power which God wishes to exercise in thee for his own glory. This concludes our reading today for day number 198. We have read from volume 3, book 5, chapter 15, paragraphs 162 to 174. The death of St. Joseph has always been a mystery to us. We've always said he died in the company of Jesus and Mary. There are images of the Dormition of St. Joseph with Jesus and Mary close by to him. But now today we've heard the account, per Maria of Agreda, what happened in those last days, nine days there was a novena, and those last hours and moments of his life. One of the things a person does at the end of their life is they ask for forgiveness. And St. Joseph did just that. The most humble Joseph, sealing his life with an act of self-abasement, asked pardon of his heavenly spouse for all his deficiencies in her service and love, and begged her to grant him her assistance and intercession in this hour of his passing away. How fitting St. Joseph asks for Mary's prayers, just as we do so every time we pray that Hail Mary. Pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. We hear the great praise of St. Joseph for his spouse. Blessed art thou among all women. Let all generations know, praise, and exalt thy dignity. May he be eternally praised for having created thee. I hope to enjoy thy sight in the heavenly fatherland. And what beautiful words St. Joseph uses to praise the mother of God, to praise his spouse at the very end of his life. The instruction of Our Lady today was almost just as long as our reading about the death of St. Joseph, obviously because Mary wanted to communicate something to us. And what did we hear in that instruction except the great battle between good and evil that happens, how the evil one is trying to snatch a soul at the end of a person's life? That's why it's so important to be fortified by the sacraments, to receive the anointing of the sick, the apostolic pardon, to be able to make a confession if you're able, and even to receive viaticum, to receive Holy Communion. Typically these days, um, a person near death is unable to swallow, so they might not be able to receive Holy Communion. But prayer is so powerful, so important. 
We know in the diary of St. Faustina that she says that the Divine Mercy Chaplet at the hour of someone's death is so powerful, so efficacious. So if you're gathered around someone who is passing from this life, don't just be there with your family talking about the ordinary affairs of the world, but together as a family, pray the rosary. Pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Pray to God and thank God for that person's life and ask God to bring that person into the blessing of eternal life, that they might have life in the kingdom of heaven. Prayer at the hour of death is so important. May we rest assured of Mary's prayers at that hour for each one of us. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm so grateful that you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.